way you broke down what Malcolm X said was fascinating. Imagine a former slave having a better vocabulary than you. Mm-hmm. They hired you in the sixth mm-hmm. grade yep. and you can't read at all. You don't think the politicians who have won the black vote have necessarily done the right things for the black community. We have a complex where we think that we're not in control of our own destiny. We got into an 86% reading comprehension rate for the boys in our program. The vote doesn't matter as much as people think it does. Sometimes nonprofits start working on the logistics and business so much that they forget about what they actually start the nonprofit for. Armenian, a lot of times when I talk to my own community, Middle Eastern, a lot of times I'll say, well, the government needs to help us out with this, and the government needs to help us out with that. There are two communities in my own camp, and there's a camp that says, well, why don't we do something about it, right? Why don't we go out there and do something about it to help the community? My guest today, King Randall, 21 years old, has two kids, one two-year-old and a month-old, and he has been making some major headwaves with what he's doing in his community that's uh, upset a lot of people because he's starting out, s- sitting out there saying, I don't know if we need the government to help us out. We got to do something about it. He went out there, raised money to buy his own campus. I think it's 40 acres. We're going to learn more about it today. And he's getting some pushback about it today. But this is a man's man. This is a man that may be 21 years old, about to be 22 years old on July 26th, but he carries himself as a 40-year-old man that's running a multi-million dollar company, leading people older than him. And you know when you get somebody like this with that kind of a spirit, they got a big upside to make a massive impact in America when we need it today. So with that being said, my guest today, King Randall, how you doing? I'm doing excellent, sir. How are you? Very good. So what a story you got. You know, leader, teacher, guide for the X for Boys. Tell us about the X for Boys program and how you came about it. Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm King Randall. 21 years old. I'm the founder of the X for Boys program. I started this program uh, when I was 19 years old, January of 2019, uh, just before Baby King was born. Um, I started this program uh, simply because of the lack of I'll say attention that was given to our boys um, in the city of Albany. Uh, at one point, we were the highest rank uh, for a murder uh, the per capita mm-hmm. uh, in the United States, and as well as we were the fourth poorest city in the nation. And so every time something happens in our city, uh, whether somebody gets killed or et cetera, well, a boy in particular, people want to have meetings. And every time I go to these meetings, people want to you know, get all philosophical and things like that, but nobody wanted to do anything. Or they'd say things like, well, the kids don't have a basketball goal over here. They need a pool or something. I'm just like, no, these children need some mindset changing because if they get a basketball goal, all they do is shoot each other at the basketball court. Like they really need some 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 guidance in in men in their lives. Um, So I started this program. um, I did a field trip. I made a flyer on my phone. Uh, and I took the kids to Atlanta uh, to the Center for Civil and Human Rights, and I took them to the African American History Museum. Um, And when I took them on this trip, uh, I kind of knew that's what I was supposed to be doing because while I was there, the children the questions that they were asking um, and them wanting to be out of their condition, that's how I knew that the children are where I was supposed to be. Um, and quite frankly, honestly, the, the school idea didn't come you know, until one day I was listening to uh, Malcolm X. And of course, in our community, uh, a lot of us who are pro-black or what have you, a lot of them you know, listen to Malcolm and Martin and things like that. But we would talk about them, but nobody would like really push 
uh, what they actually talked about in their speeches. So I heard a debate between Malcolm and Bayard Rustin. And uh, Malcolm said, if white immigrants could come to this country years ago with nickels and dimes and no education, come and pull their little nickels and dimes and no education, set up stores, develop those stores into larger stores, um, which turns into an industry, which creates job opportunities for their own kind. He said, with us at that time having a uh, spending power of $20 billion, um, today is over a trillion dollars, not using any of that money to set up any industry, not setting up any factories, not setting up any job opportunities for our own kind, we're not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man and claim that he's discriminating against us for not giving us jobs and factories we hadn't set up. So I'm listening to this, I'm like, this sounds like 2021. So I'm just like, man, so I'm like, well, if we say the schools are failing, why don't we try opening our own schools? If we say that wow. the, the hospitals are failing, why not opening our own hospitals? So I went on a quest, I told my boys, I was like, listen, I don't know how we're gonna do it, but we're gonna open us up a school one day. I'm not sure how we're gonna do it, I'll figure it out. At this time, before I started my summer camp, which was the first year, I had just lost my job. I was driving a forklift. I had just lost my job. So mother, my children, and I, we were uh, at a crossroads because Baby King was a few months old. I didn't have any money, et cetera. So I started cutting hair. I got on YouTube. Just about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I started cutting hair. Um, and I was cutting people's hair around the neighborhood. I knew how to fix cars. My former stepfather taught me how to work on cars and things like that. So I started fixing people's cars. Um, I just started doing like uh, home repair, like changing ceiling fans and stuff like that, making like $30, $40 here and there, just trying to make ends meet. And I started this summer camp. I asked her, I was like, uh, is it okay if I do a summer camp, but we're gonna do it at the house. And she was like, okay. So uh, we did a summer camp out of the house. Um, had 20 boys come to my house every day. I had 19, I mean, I had 20 parents to believe in me. Um, How to, old are these kids at the time? They were 11 to 17. Okay. Yep, and I had all these parents to believe in me at the time. I made a flyer on my phone again, and I told them what I'd be offering. This whole summer, I taught in my dining room from some little tables that uh, people donated. Had a small little dry erase board, and every day I taught them economics, uh, language, uh, reading, etc. Like, we did this every day. I taught them how to garden. I have about four acres of land on my property. So I taught them how to garden. We grew our own food for the summer. I taught them how to change toilets, <laughs> ceiling fans. We were doing flooring, sheetrock, everything. You know, and it was it was beautiful to see. And one thing I discovered during that summer camp was the children couldn't read. And so out of 20 of those boys, maybe 12 to 13 of them could not read Get at all. I'm serious. I had a, a sixth grader who couldn't even read cat dog. Um, and it was it was quite interesting to me because I'm just like, how are you in the sixth mm, grade? Yeah. And you can't read at all. And I'm just like, this is absolutely ridiculous. So. I started a book club right after the summer camp happened, and we were reading uh, Letters to a Young Brother by Hill Harper. Um, he actually saw some of our work on Instagram, and he uh, gave us a few shout-outs. Um, but we were re- uh, reading books every week um, at the local library, and then it got too big to a point where we couldn't do it at the library no more. So we had shifted to this. Uh, um, her name is Miss Lisa Knox. Uh, she runs a company called Quick Copy. So she allowed us to use the front of her shop um, every, every day after she closed to, to do our book club. So I'd have men come into the community sometime, I mean, come into the book club to, you know, talk to the boys because they need those you know male mm-hmm. figures mm-hmm. in their lives uh, so we started doing the book club every week and the boys were becoming better at reading and not just reading but reading comprehension because what's happening is the boys can sound out what they're reading but they have no clue what they just read because they're focusing on sounding out instead of actually comprehending what it is that they're reading so we got up to an 86% reading comprehension rate uh, for the boys in our program um, so during this book club I started a um, 
a bowling team because I wanted the boys to get into some other sports. I'm just like, well, you guys can't just play basketball and football. Like, you don't know what you're good at. And my biggest thing is trying to make sure I'm giving them different things to do because they don't know what they like. Yeah. Uh, so some of the kids, they're really good. We were doing this weekly. Um, every week we were doing uh, the bowling team and the book club. Just now, is this every day they're with you, the 19th? They're, all, they're with you every day? At that time, they weren't. They were with okay. me uh, probably twice or three times a week. Got it. Um, and plus, I was still doing field trips and workshops at the time. And they're with you full a full day, like one full day with you. Just about, yeah, Got they're it. just about with me a full Got day. Um, at that time, I was still doing workshops. I was teaching them how to change brakes and oil, so I do those workshops in different uh, neighborhoods, just teaching the kids, you know, how to work on cars. Um, and so, fast forward through 2019, 2020 gets here, COVID happened. Uh, so, I kind of had to pause everything that I was doing. Um, I had to stop everything, book club, bowling team. I didn't know what was going on, so obviously I had to stop everything. And so, I had parents still calling and just like, what you going to do? Can you do something for the boys? You know, he's starting back doing this, that, and the third. I'm just like... How are parents finding out about you, by the way, at that time? Social media. Social and, media. And so social media, but what, what's, what's being posted on social media for me to find out who you are to say I want my son to come and hang out with you? Uh, word of mouth. Other parents. Um, other parents would post about what's happening with their children, um, some of the workshops we do, because I wasn't actively posting as much as I should have at the time what we were doing, but other parents were referring, you know, other parents' children to the program, et cetera. They're just like, hey, you know, he's learning how to do this, that, and the third at King Randall's camp, the eggs for boys. Uh, you should call him, you know, and send him there. So most of it was word of mouth and social media. Um, so parents were still calling and asking, could I do something? And I was like, I have no clue what I can do um, because everything I do is hands-on so I'm not sure so uh, summer summertime came with 2020 and I had parents still calling asked what I was gonna do for the summer so I said well if I'm gonna do something for the summer these kids gotta come live at my house um, so I asked I asked her again I was like can the kids come stay at the house and she said yeah they can come stay so I got some bunk beds why, why do they have to stay at your house because of COVID um, I didn't know oh, where they were go out. they got it yeah so got it so I, now you're getting them seven days a week they're mm-hmm. with you yep they were with me seven days a week so I had uh, six kids come live with me for the summer of 2020 this is six you you your wife and your kid, your uh, mm-hmm. two-year-old kid, he must have been a, a one-year-old at the time. Yeah, he was a year. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. Yeah, so we're, we're uh, every day uh, working. We went to work on a farm every day. Uh, we were doing reading every day. Uh, we were taking different little field trips. Uh, just just the six of us, uh, well, seven of us, uh, including me. Uh, so we were taking little field trips every day and things like that. But it was so beautiful to see because I noticed that there's a lot of innate learning that has to go on. Uh, with young men growing up, meaning they just have to be around a man just to, you know, get a few things, mm-hmm. not things mm-hmm. that can be taught directly. That's just like how you learn how to fry chicken growing up. Like, you didn't really, your grandma didn't teach you how to fry chicken. Like, you you kind of went in the kitchen a few times and saw our bread and it, you maybe yeah, to get more some water. caught than taught, and you were not being taught, you were being... You were catching what they were doing. Exactly. Right. Or how I learned how to grill. Like, I didn't really, like, learn. Nobody taught me how yeah. to grill. I just kind of bit, went outside with my uncles a few times and watched them grill, listened to the conversations they were having about life and things like that. So I learned that a lot of innate learning has to go on with those children. So when they go home, they went home, and their parents was like, man, he's making up his bed every day. He's saying, yes, ma'am, you know, and he's not talking back, et cetera. And I'm just like, that's because of the habits I gave, you know, them waking up at a certain time every day, going to sleep at a certain time, you know, making your bed, taking a bath. What time are they waking up? Waking up 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. Every no morning. matter what? No matter what. time what. are they going to sleep at night? 8 o'clock. That's, that's my bedtime. No matter what? No matter what. The reason that's bedtime because they go they wake up so early. And so when we work all day, they're sleepy. Um, so obviously if I'm giving them something to do all day, they're going to get sleepy. Now, few and far in between, like, we weren't doing anything and we wanted to stay up, you know, watch a movie or do s'mores outside or yeah. something like that. Then, of course, we'd stay up a little later. But for what, the most what are part... Some, what, what, are, what are ways you're shaping their mindset? So mm-hmm. give me ideas on how you shape their mindset. I see the reading. I see all that stuff. 
but how are you shaping their mindset? Are you sitting there watching a movie with them? Do you have specific agenda on what books to read because they're gonna get me to think in a certain way? Mm -hmm. How are you shaping my mindset? I know Letters to a Young Brother by Hill Harper I think is extremely important for every teenage boy to be able to read. Um, that book literally goes through almost everything there is to like about a teenage boy as far as sex, alcohol, dealing with peer pressure, your parents may be leaving you, et cetera. Like it goes through everything. And I think that book is extremely important. And as far as, you know, developing their mindsets, um, I definitely feel like uh, creating habits for them uh, and the extreme discipline uh, measures that I have for them, um, I don't allow them to make any mistakes. And the reason I say that is every time they make a mistake, it has to get dealt with and everybody gets in trouble. So let's say one of the boys, um, I tell them to stop talking and one of the boys keeps talking. Everybody has to go outside and do the exercises. I have extreme hardcore exercises. I have them do sit-ups, push-ups, mountain climbers, uh, six inches off the ground, push-ups, et cetera. Um, I have them do those things and, and fast uh, in a, at a rapid pace mm -hmm. for five minutes. Um, and they hate it, of course, but everybody has to get in trouble. And the reason I do that is to make sure that they're accountable for each other. I'm saying you and the boys, you are all brothers. So you all have to be accountable for each other. So if I'm in a car and you didn't make sure I was on my you know, P's and Q's and I got weed, we all got weed in the car. All of us are going to jail. So I want them all to be accountable for each other. Don't let him do anything stupid. Why are you allowing them to fight? You see him doing something he has no business. Why are you allowing him to do that? Were you in the military in or no? Mm -hmm. Yes, I was in the Marines, yes. How long were you in? I was two years. You were two years, what mm -hmm. was your most in the military? 3051, supply. S supply, I was mm -hmm. a Hummer mechanic in the Army. So mm -hmm. go back. And fascinating, by the way, just now you realize why I brought him in. You, you can tell why a man like this gets you to be confident about what the future looks like. But let's continue. So you, the way you broke down what Malcolm X said was fascinating. Immigrant white men come in here with barely any money and they're taking that and building it to businesses. So are you saying that to say the excuse of, the generational wealth didn't happen to me, so I can't rely on that always and make that as an excuse. Is that kind of where you're going with that? Or what is the mindset when you read that? Because people can read that and have it, you know, see it from two different point of view. Mm -hmm. Why did you go to the point of saying, what can I do about it rather than I need the government's help? Right, um, and this is where I can kind of go into where I'm not anti-government, I'm just anti-excuses. So I won't say that, of course, you know, there are different ways we are gonna need the government. Um, there are ways that, you know, politicians can help. There are certain laws that can help us, grants, et cetera. However, we're not gonna wait on those things. We should also look for our own solutions as well, so that way we aren't, you know, caught in the web of just waiting, because we have a, a, a complex where we think that we're not in control of our own destiny. And I'm just like, no, we are in control of our own destiny. We can get up and go and do something. So with me being the young age that I am and doing something, it's inspiring people like, oh, I guess I can get up and do something. And for the children that I'm working with, they're seeing possible. And where I live at, you never get to see possible as a young man. Why do you believe you control your destiny? Why, why do you believe that? Uh, I think I believe it because I'm, I'm walking in it right now. I'm walking in, you know, being in control of my own destiny. I've heard it talked about, I've heard, you know, speakers speak about it, but actually living it and then showing these other children that they can do it too and watching them develop, mm -hmm. I absolutely believe that based off of experience. Okay, so you got two different preachers. When I say, I'm not talking about Christian preachers, mm -hmm. two, two messages are being preached. Mm -hmm. One of them is, you need the government help, government's help, or else you can't do anything without their help. The other one is you control your destiny uh, before you become one to say, I believe in it because I'm walking it today, but at one point you weren't. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to take the risk of believing this message rather than the one of, I need the government to bail me out? The conditions of our communities. 
um, because uh, the the. Do you know what I'm asking? Mm-hmm, I get it. Yeah. The bigger uh, the bigger thing, and I was there, just like you were just saying. I was there at a point where we need to go ask for this. We need to go ask for that. We should be trying to get this and that. But again, I told you I heard Brother Minister Malcolm's message um, when he was debating Bayard Rustin, and it completely changed my whole mindset. I was like, well, I didn't even think about us doing it on our own. Um, and again, not necessarily saying we won't need the government because we got to get certifications. We got to get necessary permits. That's what Roland was telling you about. Right, yeah. right, right. And I understand that, you know. So I understand we got to get those permits, et cetera. You know. However, um, I think people were saying, were thinking I was saying, just like you were uh, explaining, that I was saying we don't need government at all. No, you were saying we need a small government. You, you've never mm-hmm. said we don't need government. Right. They have you a little bit too much power. You said we need a small government, yeah, not they a have, big government. Right, right. They have a little bit too much influence and power in certain areas that I believe. Uh, so I definitely will say, of course, but, but we'll there's need a, it. But what Roland was talking about is he says, well, you're a, uh, what kind of a school are you? You're, you're a... Uh, Charter school, right? Is that, is that what you are, or what, what kind of a school? We're a private school. You're a private school. Okay, so he said when you do give degrees, who gives you the degrees or certificate? And you're like, well, I have to get it from the government. And he was going back, well, if you need a certificate, you need the government. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between me going to the government to get a driver's license or certificate or any of that stuff right. versus waiting for the government to give me money, to take care of my bills, to pay for my expenses, to give me Section 8 where to live, and rely on that for a year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, because what eventually happens is a guy like you, a King Randall, could be 42 years old, and 20 years goes by and you were relying on somebody else to help your dreams become a reality versus let me go out there and do it myself. So let me go back to it with you here on the next question. Mm -hmm. You know, you said Malcolm X on what he said. What other men impacted you the most, kind of like Malcolm X? Was there a Booker T. Washington? Was there a, you know, a MLK? Who else was there? Thomas Sowell. Who were some of the men that inspired you? Directly those two, uh, Martin and Booker T. Washington. Um, I definitely uh, believe in Booker T. Washington's message because at the end of the day, um, I know a lot of people may disagree with his methods or things like that, but he's probably one of the only leaders to still have something standing today, Um, as well as Dr. King. He got legislation passed. So you could disagree with maybe things that they said, but you can't dispute results. Um, And those two, you know, men, I believe, uh, had some big results in their work. Um, I definitely believe in what uh, Martin taught and his strategy in which he got things done, as well as Booker T. Washington. I mean, I had my boys reading up from slavery. Um, that's our last book we were reading um, in book club before summer camp started. And um, great book. yeah, great book. But listening to the the verbiage and the words he was using and, and how eloquent and how, you know, it was beautiful. And I was asking the boys, I said, man, I said, imagine a former slave having a better vocabulary than you. Mm-hmm. And they were like, whoa. And it was just like, that made me feel some type of way. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't make me feel some type of way. It makes me want to do better. Because I'm like, how can a former slave, you know, have a better vocabulary than me? Yeah. He writes better than me. He, I mean, he, he grew up and didn't know how to read or write. He taught himself. So for us not to be able to know how to read and not be able to do these simple things, we have YouTube and all that. Imagine if they had YouTube or textbooks and things like that. They'd be so much further, you know? So I like to, you know, show stories like that. But Booker T. Washington and definitely uh, Martin Luther King. Have you studied Thomas Sowell at all or no? Absolutely. I just just got onto Thomas Sowell probably nine, ten months ago. Okay. Um, somebody um, mentioned him to me, and I started watching a few of his videos, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can you can get really caught up if you keep watching this stuff. Absolutely. Booker T. Washington said, "Be so good where the white man needs you. Mm-hmm. Be so good where the white man needs you." You said you said something about some people have a, a problem with his book, or you know maybe they differ opinions. Which part of what Booker T. Washington said do some folks have a hard time with? The do I think people. 
in the do for self uh, portion of things, because uh, we get in this idea of everybody owes us something, or you know, because of slavery and things like that. Granted, I believe there's a maybe a fight for that. However, I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on what I can do right now. Um, and I think many people are kind of again stuck in the, the waiting area. And so when you hear Booker T. Washington saying "Do for self" and you know go do it on your own, you know, then it sounds like oh, well, we're absolving quote unquote the white man of you know anything that he may owe us, etc. That's not necessarily what anybody's saying. What we're saying is we still can go be our own solution mm-hmm. and maybe get that on a, later on down the road. But right now, we we can be our own solution. It's just we have to want to. Yeah, there's no question about it. So 21 years old, you now have, uh, how many total students do you have now? I have 40 students right 40 now. 40 students now. Did you end up getting the property or you guys, so, they still give you a hard time with the property? Right, so actually last week we just closed on, was that last week? I think it was last week. We just closed on three different buildings. So okay. actually, uh, you know, God delivered in abundance and we were looking at one building and then we got three. Um, so um, Congratulations. Things, thank big. you. Thank you. So things fell through with the, uh, our local school system and trying to purchase um, one of the former uh, elementary school campuses, but we got th- uh, three buildings now. Um, however, it's not a school, so we do have to do renovations mm. and things like that. Um, but it's in a it's in a prime location. I won't say a good location; it's a prime location because it's right by the projects. Um, and I definitely feel like those children in that neighborhood would definitely benefit from us being there, giving uh, free breakfast and lunch sometimes, uh, doing the free book club, doing the workshops. It has a warehouse area. It has an office. It has well, actually, two warehouse areas, so we can do like different workshops. Are they right next beautiful. to each other? Or are they in different? Uh, mm, they're different all. Areas? They're all on the same property. All okay, three I got it. Yep. So that's mm-hmm. good. So you can do one campus does this, one campus does it. Right. And, right. and how big is it? Acre is it? Is it a good uh, size? Yeah, it sits on two acres, and okay. actually the lot in front of us, which will add, it's another acre in front. It's actually for sale as well. We plan on purchasing that, so it'll be uh, three acres um, if we get that. Um, now, how, mu- well. how much are pe- how many people are supporting you now financially? Uh, I don't have a number of people. Yeah. However, we do have many thousands of people from across the nation um, that are thousands us. of people that are supporting you financially. We had one point five. 5,000 people donate on our GoFundMe page. 1,500 people donate you on the GoFundMe page. Mm-hmm. How much have you raised so far? Uh, we have $128,000, but we just spent it on the building. So. On the building. Yep. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So the 40 students, have they already started living there or not yet? It's not livable yet. No, it's not livable yet. Okay. However, the students that I have for the summer camp, my grandmother has a nine-bedroom home. They're all living with us right now at my grandmother's house. Great. Yep, so. <laughs> my grandma's got a nine. Everyone's yep. living with grandma right now. Everybody's li- house. It's, it's, a, it's a family thing. My mom comes and cooks for them. My grandma cooks And you even them. know how to cook. Yeah, you, I know how to cook. You yeah, know so. how to cook, right? Yeah. I think you, mm-hmm. you would you take classes you went to school for? Yes, sir. I graduated with associate's degree um, while I was in high school um, from Albany Technical College with culinary arts. At 17 years old. Yes, sir. And your birthday is July 26th. Yes, sir. Which is coming up in, in, in 11 days from today, you're gonna to be 22 years old. So yes, sir. what are some of your long-term aspirations? What do you wanna do long-term? Um, well, I know, uh, as mentioned in my age, well, first of all, I, I have this thing where I believe I should do something bigger than the year before. So I never wanna be stagnant. So if people thought 20, the year 21 was good, year 22 is gonna be times two. I have to make sure the years are, um, are better. But of course, uh, starting this school is uh, first and foremost for me. Um, and also eventually opening up a different campus in other cities and things like that. Um, however, I wanna make sure that the program is actually serving the children and their children are actually changing. I don't want to become an, one of the mainstream nonprofits that end up just doing food giveaways and clothing drives and mm-hmm. things like that, but nobody's actually changing. You know, and I, I feel like uh, sometimes nonprofits start working on the logistics and business so much that they forget about what they actually start the nonprofit for. 
And so I've been questioned, you know, a few times about, you know, the audits and, you know, things like that, the nonprofit status, et cetera. Um, but I always, you know, handed, I have a management team for that. As for me, I want to strictly focus on the work. Um, and I don't want to, you know, it to become where I forget about the children or it's all about the money, et cetera. And, or these big nonprofits where 10 cent actually goes to the foundation. That's and, right. And then 90 cent goes Kept to salaries. Yeah, you know. $600,000 salaries. Right. You know, and that's where I'm at. So I definitely want to make sure we're serving the children uh, first and foremost. Um, thirdly, we want to make sure uh, that we actually get the building finished and renovated. Uh, we also want to work on our book club and expanding it across the nation. I actually want to do the book club uh, every week with men all across the nation. I um, mean, also doing different workshops across the nation. So right now, um, I've actually been doing a little small tour where I've been going to different cities and uh, donating tools and teaching the young men in different areas how to uh, change brakes and oil. I've been to Brooklyn, been to Los Angeles, San Diego. How to change oil. Yep, and I've basic been, stuff. Basic stuff, yeah. and it makes so much money. Yeah. Um, like I could, I could charge a hundred dollars to just change the brakes, and it only takes me 20, 30 minutes. So imagine doing ten cars in a day. You know, and that's that some people don't even make that in a month. Who supports what you're doing? Who opposes what you're doing? Um, I don't really talk, talk about opposers. Um, however, uh, many different people support uh, many different celebrities. Uh, Rihanna's reached out to us. Um, we've Rihanna's had, reached out. Mm -hmm, it's yeah, great. Yeah, she uh, she wants to come visit the school uh, one day, but I, of course, I don't want to send an invitation until we're ready. Um, but we have John Cena. He supports. Uh, former President uh, Trump supports. Uh, we got invited to the White House. We have many different politicians. Trump supports. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, okay. we have many different politicians, etc. So um, I'll definitely say uh, we have a lot of a lot of supporters. Um, wow. Why wouldn't somebody support you? Um, if somebody doesn't like, when you were on Roland Martin, you know, you guys went back and forth 30 minutes, you handled yourself very well. You know, he, you were talking about that the vote doesn't matter as much as people think it does because the same people we've been voting for, they've been funded by the white man and then they're going back, they come and they show up when they need our vote and then they disappear, we don't see them again, right? So there's, yeah. I think, I want the audience to know a little bit of the fire. Because mm -hmm. right now, the audience just is thinking you're just this nice guy that's gonna go up against some of the tough guys and you're gonna be bullied and how is this guy gonna hang up and hang against those guys? Mm -hmm. So there's some people that are, you know, not happy with what you're doing because they're thinking the message that you're giving is people cannot stand up on their own two feet. You're gonna need someone to help you out. But you're saying, look, I'm not focused on the voting part I want to be able to go do what I can with the folks and get them to realize you don't necessarily need the government's help to stand up. So talk a little bit about the differences you and Roland Martin had in the area of specifically voting. Um, I definitely think uh, in each of, in our community, everybody has their own different parts of the body. And this is what I explained you know, on this show. Everybody has their own part. Some people are the liver. Some people are the eyes. Some people are the lungs. Everybody has to play their part. What I was explaining to him was that is not my fight, and he was saying, "Oh, well, that should that can't that should be your fight." I'm like, "Well, that's not mine. I have a area of you know that I'm working on with children, and I can't focus my time on voting and my children when seeing you know so many issues that they're having, being molested, mm -hmm. being abused, you know all these things. They all have stories, etc. So I'm like, I don't have time to focus on the vote. However, if you're focused on making sure that you know our people are voting, I will back you in my area. You know, I'll say, hey, you know, if somebody says I need help with voter registration, I say, okay, well I'll send them the roll in." Martin, but if somebody says in my community, oh, I need help with my young man, they're going to say, well, send him to King Randall. You know, so I work in my area. That's just like uh, with the body. If something's wrong, the brain sends a signal and it sends, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it needs to, you know, fix the body. But that's how it works. So I'm like, I'm not necessarily opposed, you know, to what you're saying. We weren't, I don't even think we were really, it was a big disagreement. No, it's you just, agreed with 90% of the, the stuff you said with the yeah, voting side. Mm -hmm. But the one thing you said, what's the big deal about having to check your ID and you can go out there and, you know, create a place where... Uh, 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 you know, you be said, the solution. Yeah, be the solution rather yeah. than uh, 
doing that. But you, you did say, you know, you don't think the politicians who have won the black vote have mm -hmm. necessarily done the right things for the black community. Do you still believe that? Absolutely. Look okay. at the conditions of our, all of our communities. Um, even where I live, uh, where I live, 74% uh, African-American population, and the condition of our community is absolutely horrendous. I mean, at one point, we were the fourth poorest city in the nation. Uh, so definitely seeing, you know, where that's been and, and where our community is. Um, and, and it's not a knock, you know, against them or their character or anything, but I'm simply saying we should look at something different because if we've been doing this for 60 years the same way, and obviously our community, Communities' conditions have worsened since we got the right to vote. Uh, uh, something's, you know, went backwards uh, there, and something's wrong there. We need to fix it. Got it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting when you know uh, the conversation was taking place, and then Kwame Brown comments mm -hmm. about you, and he gives mm -hmm. you a shout out. Uh, and Kwame Brown's been pretty critical of the NBA with them calling him out. I think he called out Stephen A. So he called out a bunch of different people in the yeah. NBA. <laughs> what do you think about what Kwame's up to? Uh, I think uh, it's needed. Um, and like I said, he's a different part of the body. Um, and I definitely uh, and I appreciated him for his shout-out. We talked on the phone, and I actually plan to come on his show soon. Um, but I definitely think what he's doing is important, uh, especially in, in regards to his yeah. area. Uh, so I definitely feel like you know some things need to be said. Um, and definitely some people have to stand up, put their foot down, and say it. Uh, so I definitely think in his his area that is beautiful. He's pushing the envelope. He's Absolutely. pushing. So what's next for you? Uh, right now, uh, opening our school, the Life Preparatory School for Boys. Um, this school will be for all boys, um, and I definitely want it to be boarding. Um, the reason I want the school to be boarding is because of the different habits that they can develop um, with us at the school. Sometimes, uh, even with teaching a child from 8 to 5 every day, they go home and unlearn the things that we tried to teach at school. They go home back to their old habits. They go home to not taking a bath. They go home into their different environments. And honestly, I'm always really skeptical of the children who never want to go home. I'm always asking them questions like why don't you want to go home like even if you're having the best time at the camp they still want to go home sometime you know you get homesick but the kids who never want to go home I have issues with that I'm mm. just like what's going on what do you summer? notice uh, being the common trend there a molestation uh, that's just being blunt um, and that's a taboo in the black community some things we don't like to talk about and usually it's always happening with a family member I went through that my mom went through that my grandmother went through that my grandma's grandma went through that it's it's a trend in our community that nobody likes to talk about 90% of the boys that I've talked to have all been through some type of family molestation now it may have affected them differently because it may have been a woman like it was with me but you're not taught that it's you know bad or you know something like that that's you know I'm a man now you you know, you had a woman to touch mm -hmm. you, and we don't understand how women are predatory on young men, you know, or, and boys growing up, and nobody, they, have, they don't have a mouthpiece. Um, so I talk to them about these things, and I try to get them help, but that's probably, like, the, the number one thing and why they won't, don't want to go home. It's the molestation, being abused, et cetera. You know, so uh, th th that, that molestation conversation is definitely very taboo. Nobody wants to talk about it. People, uh, they shun their kids for not wanting to speak about it. I got one kid. Um, his dad's side of the family would not speak to him because he said something about his cousin molesting him now they don't want anything else to do with him you know I'm just like why do we do that you know and we'll make comments like oh well white people are incestuous in Alabama and stuff like that I'm like no we have a lot of incest that goes on in the black community let's talk about it but again we don't talk about these things in our community we just love to point the finger all the time but I'm, I'm one of those people who we need to talk about these things if we're going to fix the conditions of our community that's why I say you can have opposition and there's going to be people that are going to oppose you bringing those topics up and you will face that 
you know, somebody may look at you and they may say, well, you, you were probably raised in a great family, Christian family, strong grandma. You probably had a mom and dad that were married for 30 years and they're still together, et cetera, et cetera. Tell us about your upbringing. Absolutely. Uh, so I grew up uh, in Albany, Georgia. Um, my mom wasn't initially married. My mom and dad are, are not together. Uh, they broke up when I was maybe like one or two. They were just boyfriend and girlfriend. Biological. Yeah, my biological yeah, dad. Yeah. Um, but my mom uh, and I were staying with my grandmother for a little while, and then she got married when I was in the fourth grade. Um, and this stepfather of mine is the one who taught me all the different things I know as far as working with my hands. Uh, the first day I met him, um, I was actually outside uh, trying to dig some uh, grass up to, to grow some watermelons. And so he came out and actually showed me how to, to do it with just a shovel, because you have to have other tools, but he actually showed me how to do it with just a shovel and my watermelons grew fine that year but um ever since i had met him i mean we did the fishing we skinned animals we had a dog kennel we had like 20 dogs in the backyard wow. we had squirrels rabbits everything so when people came by our house it's like a farm um and everything that we ate we grew outside um so that's why we were so healthy growing up too because everything my mom wanted to cook you know we grew outside we even grew our seasoning we grew everything outside um so just being able to go pick you know from the garden and go get eggs from our chickens and things like that being able to kill squirrels and, and feed them to the dogs whenever they were hungry if we didn't have no dog food or something like all that stuff is beautiful um making traps uh fishing uh mullet fishing all these things i learned you know from him growing up and i didn't realize how important it was obviously because i was young but once i got older i understood now here my mom you know got a divorce my mom will say oh he was a bad husband but a great father um but so they they broke up um and my mom got married to detective andre hardaway uh they got married um I think when I was about 15 or 16 years old. Um, I wasn't living with her at the time because I was trying to get my degree from Albany Technical College. Um, so they got married and he's been uh, you know, a rock with me as far as developing me into like a businessman because my former stepfather was country, you know, like a country guy, you know, you know, riding the old trucks and stuff like that. And he's like a more stand up business, you know, he's a detective, you know, so it, it, both of them, you know, kind of molded me. And so the neighborhood I grew up in with my former stepfather, we had four men in our neighborhood that kind of just raised all of us. Had a deacon behind our house. Uh, his name was Deacon Bogan. Uh, he stayed in the house uh, behind us. Then we had a guy down the street. He was on drugs, but he, he actually uh, taught us how to lay bricks. He did everybody's um, brick mailboxes and things Even like that. Was on drugs. Yeah, mm -hmm. he still taught us everything we needed to know. The guy down the street, we called him Pie Man. Now, usually in the black neighborhoods, you have a candy lady, but we had a candy man, so we called him <laughs> Pie Man. He had all the pies. So That's we'd cool. go down to his house, but he grew food where he was too, so he taught us how to grow our food. Now, where you grew up, was everybody black? Is is predominantly mm -hmm. black? Yep. I grew up in the hood. I grew up in the hood. Uh, everybody was uh, black there. Um, now, my mom had a nicer house because my mom was not going to have the hood house. She always kept the house up. We had the lions in the driveway, and we kept the Grass cut. Yeah, we had the grass cut cool. and, uh, you know, nice landscaping yeah. and things like that. Mom always said we're not going to have no ugly house just because we stay mom in the Mom was hood. a hard worker. Absolutely. My mom has done everything from truck driving to firefighting to, I mean, just anything. And so now she still drives trucks and uh, she does, uh, she has a prop business and she does interior designing. So my mom has done some of everything. I've watched her growing up just I like the story you told about your mom giving your dad to bring you a cake oh, on man. June 26th, yep. a month before your birthday, <laughs> and even though he got your birthday wrong, you were just happy that you hung out with your pops. Oh man, so what, you- What a mom you got, by the way. You definitely been watching my interview. So my dad and I, my biological father and I do not have a bad relationship because of my mother. My mother never allowed us to have a bad relationship, and I think this story is gonna be extremely important for any single mom, regardless of if that father's there or not. 
Um, so one year, uh, my dad never really came to like my football games and mm-hmm. things like that. He came to three football games growing up. I remember them vividly because he was there. Now, my mom came to every football game I played, but the only three games I really remember was the one my, dad's came, my dad came to. It was, it was so beautiful. And my mom would go get him like gifts for Christmas and things like that. She'd go give it to him, then come pick me up and then take me over there to make it seem like he gave me a gift. Or... Um, and I remember, just like the story you're talking about, um, I think I had just turned 11 or 12. And I remember it was June 26th, um, and everybody know who knows me, I hate chocolate cake. So it was June 26th. Hate chocolate cake. I hate chocolate cake. It's disgusting. Uh, so <laughs> I hate chocolate cake. So it was June 26th, and my dad came over to our house, and he brought me a cake and said, happy birthday. I didn't even care it was on the wrong day. I was so happy that my dad brought me a That's cake. Cool. Didn't care. I was happy. I hugged him. Now, my mom, you know, thrashed him for it, you know, afterward. Month late. Yeah, month, month early. Yeah, she was like, what? This is, but I was so happy. I didn't care. Sure. I, and I ate the chocolate cake. I didn't even care if it was wow. nasty. It was because my dad brought it. You know, so, but that goes to show how important it is for a man to be in your life. Um, and and that's that's really important. Um, but just seeing the, the type of woman my mom was to do that just to make sure we didn't have a bad relationship. And so now all of my siblings, um, my dad's children, I'm the only child for my mom, but my dad's children, um, I raise all of them, all of my dad's children that I raise. My dad, you know, he isn't... Your biological dad, mm-hmm. you raise all of them. Mm-hmm. I, raise, I raise my brothers and sisters, yes. Yep. Um, my little brother, um, his name is Keelan Randall, and most people, when they see him, he, he's almost a reflection of me, except for he's like 6'3". Um, his mom is six feet tall, but my dad and I are like 5'7", so I'm shorter than he is, but he looks up to me and is like a reflection of me, and I keep myself in check because I notice he tries to mimic me a lot, so whenever I see him doing something that I know I do that's wrong or it shouldn't be that way, I fix it in myself so that way he can fix it. And so watching who my little brother was uh, growing up, uh, he was a really smart kid, um, and I wasn't always in his life because obviously we stayed in two different homes, but he turned about 13 or 14, his mom called. She said, I don't know what's going on with your brother. He's you know, messing with little girls, and he's sagging his pants, hair all crazy, he's getting fat and everything. I'm just like, whoa. So I came back to see him, and like, I got this fat kid, and his hair all crazy, sagging his pants, and don't want to listen to, you know, crazy music all day. So I took my little brother, and I destroyed him, first of all. I you know, How'd you do it? How'd um, you do it? What was the conversation like? So first, I had a conversation first. Okay. I told him this stuff better stop or I'm going to come and destroy you. Um, that's one of my words for coming to work you out real bad and, and discipline you. So um, I told I'm him. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy okay. you. And I, and I mean it. You know, so I'm just like, listen, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy you. If you don't get these grades up, you know, stop touching these little girls. So, okay, cool. So I left. Got another phone call. Cool. I came back. I took him to the park across the street, ran him around a thousand times, made him do push-ups, sit-ups, made him chant certain things like discipline, et cetera. And, but after that, I started like being with him every day, talking to him, et cetera. And so he went from everybody's most hated kid at school to like all the teachers' favorite child. Um, he's the model band student now. Uh, I just I took him to band practice the other day, and his band director, he's the ninth grader, he's a freshman, and he, they, he's like, no, he's the example. You know, he he stands up tall, he walks straight, he speaks so eloquently, and he's tall. You know, a big big kid. You know, and people think he's an adult. You know, because of how he he maneuvers. But looking at the night and day change from him and some of my other kids too. Now, I don't want people to get the mistake and think that the program is going to change children in like a day or two. I'm like, it took children 15, 16 years to get where they are. It's going to take a while. Right. So I have children. I have one kid. uh, He's I've been working with him for about nine months now. It's taken that long just to get him to a point where he's bearable now. Like he was really bad to a point where I just 
I want to just, what, son, stop. Just, I just want to scream, but I don't give up on any, any of my children. I don't give up on any of them at all. You know, but now he's to a point where he's bearable now. He's trying to, you know, motivate the other children. He's trying to lead them, et cetera. But sometimes he just want to see if you care. You know, so I've never given up on any child that's coming to the program. Um, as long as their parents can keep them around consistently and keep bringing them to different things. You know, it takes, it takes time. It's taking two years for yeah. some kids. You know, it's taking maybe two months for another, you know, but it takes time. It, it, it takes, a you know, a minute. So some kids, you know, they'll come in and they'll be rebellious and don't want to listen and things like that. And I got some kids coming there and turn into the model student the next day. You know, so it's, it's different for all the children, but I think that's something beautiful. Who were you in high understand. school? Who were you in high school? 10th uh, grade. 10th grade. So, uh, well, uh, let me start at ninth grade. So when, when I first got to high school, I had just had my heart broken by my eighth grade girlfriend. Uh, I'll never forget it. I was distraught for a whole year. <laughs> uh, so I was definitely distraught for a whole year. But um, how'd she do it? Uh, well, we got we were going to high school and um, we were I had just we had just went to Six Flags and we went on these different trips for the summer and things like that. This is our summer before high school. And she just broke up with me. She's like, I want to just go see what it's like in high school. Uh, if I don't see anybody I like or something, then you know. I'll, we'll come back and talk, you know, stuff like that. But I was like, all right, you know, because my heart was just like, whatever. But aside from that, uh, my 10th grade year, I was I was this kid trying to, to fit in. Um, the reason being was because when I was in middle school, um, I loved to wear suits. I wore a suit to picture really? day. Mm-hmm. I wore a suit to picture day my sixth grade year. And um, while I was there, when I got to school, everybody picked on me the whole day because I had on a suit. Like, I mean, it was nuts. And I'll never forget it. Um, I had a brown suit on, a brown striped suit um, that I wore. A teacher just thought it was nice, but everybody picked on me the whole day. <laughs> and so I got... So you've been sharp for a while. Yeah, I, even my fifth grade uh, photo. My fifth grade photo is a picture of me in a black suit. If you got them, give it to us. We'll put in the Yeah, the, I'll the send it video. to you. I'll send it to you. But yeah, I, I always wore a suit. And so that year, everybody picked on me. I came home and I got in the car and I cried. I'm the only person in the school yearbook with a certain title. And so um, I got in the car and cried. I was like, man, everybody picked on me all day. She's like, so what? She's like, people can pick on you, et cetera. But they can say that, but it still hits different while you're there because everybody's dogging you the whole day. So I never wore a suit again. Never wanted to wear a suit. Never. Um, so I started trying to fit in. People at that time were wearing, uh, like, Aeropostale in middle school. So I said, mom, he bought me this, that, and the third. Like, my mom went broke. It's just I wanted to wear what I wanted to wear. I wanted to wear the Beverly Hills Polo Club and FUBU and things like that. But people would pick on me all the time. Um, so I get to 7th and 8th grade, I start wearing Aeropostale and Ralph Lauren and stuff like that. Ninth grade, doing the same thing, people still picking on me. At that time, I told you my mom went broke, she was driving trucks, so I had the nice Ralph Lauren, but oh, oh, that's fake. There's no way you got that, this, that, and the third. So I'm just like, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, I'm wearing what you guys want me to wear, and I'm still getting picked on, so what's the issue? So my 10th grade year, uh, I started being myself. Um, I, had, I didn't wear a suit yet, but I started dressing how I wanted to, because I was like, obviously people are going to pick pick on you um, anyway. And I think one thing that changed my life while I was in ninth grade, because um, I always thought I was an ugly kid, uh, this nice one of the nicer looking girls at school, she was a senior at the time, I'll never forget, we were eating Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits. They used to sell chicken biscuits uh, when I was in the ninth grade. And I came to buy a chicken, chicken biscuits. She was like, oh, he's so cute. And I was like, you talking to me? She was like, yeah, you. I was like, oh, snap. That changed me. <laughs> I will never forget it. I said, uh, I see her sometime around, you know, town and things like that. But I always said, I said, if I ever get some money, I'm going to bless her just for that because I never forgot how that changed my life. Just her giving me she that. She was three years older than you. Yeah, just that one compliment changed me. And so when I got to 10th grade, I started trying to be myself. And I started um, wearing, like, dress shirts and things like that. But 11th grade year, I started wearing full suits again. Uh, so I wore full suits and a briefcase to school every day, any of my 
classmates will tell you I wore a suit and a briefcase every day to school. If I had on a hoodie or something, somebody would like, what's wrong with you? You know, why you got on a hoodie? You usually have on a suit. But, um, and then my, my principal would allow me to skip school and go speak at other schools to speak to different kids. So I was started doing public speaking when I was in like 11th grade. I mean, I was speaking at other schools, talking to the different children, you know, telling them about being themselves. And um, I didn't even have like, uh, like the best grades and things like that, but I was the model student, you know, and mo- people voted me most likely to be famous and most likely to be president when I was in high school. Really? Yeah, just because of how I carried myself. And so the other guys that used to pick on me were mad because I had all the girls because of how I dressed and my smile and hair and haircut all the time and smelling nice. I said, well, you all look the same, so why would you expect, you know, um, them to like y'all and y'all all look the same? I look different. And so I'll never forget uh, when I ran for Homecoming King uh, the 12th grade year, the guys had this little this little thing where they're gonna try to make sure I didn't win. So they went on a whole campaign to make sure I lost um, the Homecoming King uh, vote. So I, I lost. Um, however, this is what happened. The guy that won, um, he couldn't put his uh, his robe on the little robe, the little homecoming yeah. robe. I went and put the homecoming robe on for him, and I crowned him. And asked me what the picture of the year uh, front cover of the yearbook is. What is it? That's me putting his robe Get on. Get out of here! Yeah. Get out of here! The, ba- the what's crazy is everybody was like, "You show so much sportsmanship." That's I so said, cool. "I know because I knew what they tried to do, but it's okay. My name's already King, so it can be Homecoming King King." So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's what happened. But me in high school, I was you know wearing suits every day, trying to be you know who I am now. And Are you a math guy, English guy, history guy, science? Uh, I'll say now I'm no, in, at that time. At that time, I'll say science. Uh, okay. I like dissecting stuff. Biology. Like yeah, and my okay. best friend, he's a mortician. Uh, so he was working at the funeral home we were, while we were in high school. His name's Anthony Buchanan. He's a mortician, and uh, he's always been working at the. You funeral don't want to be dissecting people. You want to be dissecting animals, or you, you'd be open to the dissecting of humans. Okay, well, let's talk about it. So. My best friend and I, I actually went to go work with him uh, probably um, maybe nine months ago. And um, he actually taught me how to uh, do their makeup and I would cut their hair and dress them and things like that. It actually wasn't that bad. Like after your first body, you know, and getting that the jitters out, then, you know, it's, it's normal. We played music, we talked to them, you know, and things like that. So it wasn't that bad, but uh, I'll definitely say it's, it's an interesting uh, process. And looking at the money they make, uh, definitely would love to get into that industry because people are always dying, so. <laughs> I, I want you know who you remind me of. Who do people say you you remind them of? Uh, I got a few people. So you got Omar Epps. Uh, okay. You got Chris Tucker. Okay. And you got Lil Nicky from The Fresh Prince. Okay, yeah. I can see that. I can see all three. Yeah. yeah. I tell you, I can see all three. But I'm gonna tell you a crazy one here for you. You ever seen Back to the Future? Of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember the the where. He says, you see, Miss Crothers, I will be the mayor. I will be the most powerful man in Hill Valley. Do you remember that scene or no? No, I don't remember well, that the scene. guy's going around. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. What's his name? What's the guy's name? In, uh, I don't know the mayor's name, but there is a scene about him going around saying, uh, Goldie Wilson is what it was. Goldie I'm going to be the mayor one day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the mayor one day. And he had this energy, and eventually, obviously, to the future, he mm-hmm. ends up becoming it. But you have that uh, spirit about yourself that... Uh, that positive, optimistic, high standards, expectation, confident, and I don't know what you're gonna be doing, but you got a big upside. But at the same time, when you do a SWOT analysis in anything you do, are you familiar with SWOT analysis? No, sir. Okay, so SWOT analysis is four things. Anytime you're trying to do any business, you know, you're, no matter what you're doing, you're, you're trying to compete in a marketplace. You have to identify your strengths, which your strengths are, you have a niche, you're going after your target audience, you know what it is, and what you're teaching is, it's, would you say a lot of your you know, uh, students that are coming to you 
are fatherless boys? Would you say the, the target market would be fatherless boys? Yeah, over, Is that a fair over, assessment? Yeah, over 90% of the boys okay. are fatherless. So, and, yeah. and that's a big audience. Mm -hmm. It's a big market for that in America today, right? Yep. So strength, you know your target audience. Weakness, uh, maybe it's funding right now, money. You can, you're trying to get money. Maybe it's infrastructure. Maybe you're going to get, you know, a little bit better on uh, uh, education, the system, the schedule, how that works. That'll come within time. Mm -hmm. Always opportunity. You got a big opportunity ahead of you, what you're doing. But your last one is threats. They're good. Just like the people didn't want you to win Homecoming King, they wanted to be King Randall, not Homecoming King King Randall. Randall. <laughs> they wanted to prevent you. You're going to have threats with what you're doing. But uh, it takes the right kind of a person to be able to address, uh, 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 to be able to handle that kind of pressure. I think you have the right character. You, the, the combination of people that uh, helped raise you, whether it's your mother, uh, who obviously played a very important role, whether it's your first stepfather you talked about, or what he taught you as a countryman, and then, or it's your second one that was a detective, more business, kind of teaching you that side, and I turn you to who you are today. Sometimes. Life, when you're going through a strange time, you don't really know why you're going through it, but maybe there's a long-term vision of why you're going through it. Right. Final thoughts here before we wrap up. People are listening to this. Uh, you know, maybe someone has similar aspirations as you do, mm -hmm. okay? They're not where you are, okay? But they're watching the saying, I also want to kind of make an impact myself. How do I or how do they go about making positive impact in their community just like you are doing right now? I'll definitely say start with doing something. And I call it a do something plan. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything large scale. You don't have to take random children into your house and things like that. You can go give that homeless person that you tell no all the time something, you know, for the first time. You can go buy a family some food. You can go find a child to feed once a week. You can go take a child to school every day. You know, anything to make something positive happen in your community. If you see something negative happening in your community, you could also find something positive to do to combat it. Um, and I think if everybody did that, I think we'd be in a better place. And I'll definitely give a quote from one of our favorite rappers. Uh, he's one of our local uh, hometown heroes. His name is Cantrell. He says, obstacles are optical illusions. They're not really there. Jump high anyway. Jump high just in case. Wow. You're nonstop, aren't you? <laughs> is he like this all the time? From the moment he wakes up till uh, he goes to sleep, he's like this. There's nope. a reason why he's got a big upside, and I'm glad to see more folks like you having the courage to go out there. King Randall, uh, how can people find you? Website, if you don't mind kind of sharing that with them. Absolutely. Uh, you can go to xforboys.org. That's T-H-E. The letter X? T-H-E, the letter X, F-O-R-B-O-Y-S.org. And you can follow me at New Emerging King on all social media platforms. We're going to put all those, those links below where people can find you. Uh, having said that, thank you so much for coming out and being a guest on Valley Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate you. You got it. Tell me this is not an impressive young man. I mean, think about it. I told him afterwards, I said, one day you're either going to be a mayor, senator, governor, president. He's got that kind of a big upset if he stays humble, hungry, and focused. But uh, wish him nothing but the very best. Curious to know what you took away from the interview. Comment below. Also, if you enjoyed this interview, i got two other ones for you. One is with Colin Noor, who gave a complete different perspective on guns and Second, second Amendment. And the other one is an interview I did with Jocko Willink maybe five years ago. I don't know, maybe even five, six years ago. If you've never seen that one, click over here to watch it as well. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.